Talk Recorded live. Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio today is our cyber jockey, Zach Slotnick. Hey, Joe. And we have a guest co-host, Mr. Danny Hunt. Hey, Joe. And back by popular demand, unsmoking IICRC instructor extraordinaire, Bill Wagon. Pleasure to be with you, Joe. Always good to have you here, Bill. Cliff is traveling this week, won't be able to join us, but he did line up our first guest, which is going to be, I think, a quite interesting interview. Today's segments include the Microband Trivia Quiz, we will have Ron Alford, the Disaster Master, and then we will have Stacy Champion from Champion Indoor Environments. We uh, would like you, if you'd like to contact me, you can... Email me at joe.hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, at iaqtraining.com. And to contact the show, go to the www.talkshoe.com website. Follow the directions to get your PIN number, and our show ID is 1547. Last but not least, if you get a chance, please visit IAQ Training Institute's website for the most current dates for the training you trust iaqtraining.com all right before we go to our first guest let's go to the microband trivia question for today friday february 7th thanks joe cyber jockey i'll be presenting the microband trivia question for today Friday, February 2nd, 2007. Our, our questions today are about phobias, an irrational, excessive, and persistent fear of, of something or a particular situation. According to medical experts, there are, there are some 700 specific phobias currently documented. For our show today, we have questions about two different types of phobias. One, what is the fear of missiles or bullets? I'll repeat that. What is the fear of missiles or bullets. The second phobia that we have is what is the fear of dust? Again, what is the fear of dust? And back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cyber Jockey. Today's microband trivia quiz is brought to us by Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Our other original and continuing sponsor is Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. I think we've got a little intro music for our first guest here. Zach, let's, let's see what cyber jockeys pulled up for Mr. Ron Alford. Ron 
Alford is a recognized authority on crisis management, disaster prevention, risk management, disaster recovery planning, and the recovery process. He's also a personal coach, professional speaker, and proactive crisis management expert. He's, been, he's had a 25-year career as the director for Disaster Masters, Inc., and the management of thousands of claims for insurance victims has given him experience and insight, which enables him to view people under severe stress, organizations, buildings, contents, in a completely different framework. His personal coaching services, books, articles, speaking, and consulting assignments are provided in plain language so that participants get real value. He's available for one-to-one personal coaching, telecoaching, corporate consultations, speaking engagements, and to provide crisis management audits for individuals, property, or organizations of any size. Ron's work has been featured as the subject of a television documentary. He's been on numerous radio, newspaper, and magazine interviews, and he can be reached at 1-800-THE-PLAN or www.theplan.com. Welcome, Ron. Hello, Mr. Hughes. Uh, it's great to have you here, Ron. We, uh, f- I feel very fortunate. Cliff brought you onto the show, and I know you've had a long, uh, distinguished history in the disaster restoration industry. We were looking at your webpage, and one of the things that really struck us as interesting is disposophobia. What exactly is disposophobia, Ron? An- another kind of phobia that's probably not on that list that you were talking about earlier. Disposophobia is a very unique thing that probably everybody on the planet suffers with to some degree or the other, and that's the fear of getting rid of stuff. Now, you might say, well, who would do that? But here's an example, Joe. Take your wallet out, will you? Okay. All right, go ahead. Now then, take your driver's license out of that. Uh, now, turn your driver's license in the garbage can. Uh, I don't think I have Oops. a garbage can close by, but right, I, I, I would have a hard time doing that. I know that. You would, right? You should see my wallet, too, Ron. It's a, a rubber band. I'm sure. <laughs> but, but, again, you see, there, there's another, there's a, there's a hint of disposophobia that you have a hard time of getting rid of that stuff. Yes, sir. Now, then, uh, there are people... Uh, about 5% of the population, as a matter of fact, who suffer from disposophobia to such a point that their lives and the people around their lives are affected uh, that they really have a hard time negotiating walking through their own homes in some cases. I will guarantee you my wife thinks I'm a victim or a budding victim. Right. Uh, The other words, sometimes people are referred to as Hoarders, pack rats, messies, that kind of stuff. Uh, so th- these are the kinds of people that uh, we run into. The disposophobia is a very, very unique disease in that it's fine to have, uh, not to want to dispose of a stack full of $100 bills, you know, or a bucket full of gold or armload of diamonds. I could understand holding on to that stuff. But chewing gum wrappers? <laughs> yeah, Danny Hunt. Uh, is, uh, newspapers from from 1956, uh, magazines, articles, uh, things that like school teachers sometimes collect and bring home called twigs, 
leaves, art supplies, tens of thousands of pencils, pens, things of that nature. Um, I'm getting a little more worried as you go along here. I, I think I have about half of those, uh, Ron. Yeah, men, men <clears throat> women will buy shoes and hold on to these things. You never know when you're going to have to wear that other pair of shoes. You know, I got two feet and I got 900 pair, uh, 900 shoes uh, in the house here somewhere. Some of which I haven't seen in years, but oh my God. I'm not going to get rid of them because I just may need them one day. Bill Wagon's got a question for you here, Ron. Hi, Ron. Go, Bill. Hi, yeah. Bill. Uh, are there any kind of demographics, what type of people, ages or men, women, which, uh, which groups Cross suffer the, the most? Board, but almost all disposophobics are highly intelligent. It's surprising. You're not all shopping bag ladies or people holding, you know, carrying things around in shopping carts. But uh, the, uh, the largest group of people that we service, uh, and well, by the way, there's a whole website devoted to disposophobia. It's disposophobia.com. But, um, but the number one clients that we service to help them get out of this mess are people in the healthcare industry. Hmm. It, isn't that a surprise? Interesting. A lot of these cases that people who are chronic disposophobics are... Some people believe, you know, it's a, a, a gene or it's some sort of malfunction of the brain or it's this, that, and the other. My experience is that people just learn to be this way, and they continue to keep themselves that way by having these conversations uh, with themselves that, that continue to reinforce their need to hold on to things. And more often than not, this behavior is generated because of extreme depression that folks are in. Now, as far as people are concerned, uh, there are more women in the world than there are men, so yes, there are more women uh, that have this problem than men. The healthcare industry is by far my largest client base. The social workers, shrinks, uh, nurses, people uh, who are in the business of helping others. So, why is that? The reason is probably because these people spend so much time learning to help others, they never had the time to learn to take care of themselves. And as a result of nurses working 60 and 70 hour weeks, uh, oftentimes they just get home and they're, they're not able to take care of themselves. The second group of people, other than the healthcare industry, are the, uh, the academia. School teachers uh, are incredibly uh, um, attached to stuff. Uh, professors, um, lawyers, accountants. Uh, lawyers have rarely ever seen a file that they didn't need to have three copies of. You got two two teachers in the, actually three teachers in this room right here, and we all just looked at each other. Ron went, "Oh boy, he's right." Oh yeah. Well, teachers really have a problem uh, with disposophobia, and they're my second largest crowd of people. I mean, the, uh, the United UFT, uh, actually, some of the people at the office uh, have our name and phone number right at their fingertips because these teachers get in trouble, some to the point that they actually are uh, living in apartment buildings in New York and other high-density areas where landlords want to evict them because they're fire health and safety hazards. Danny Hunt has a question on how uh, he's run into this problem before. I think he has a question on how you handle it. Right. Okay. 
Well, first, Ron, I just wanted to say, it was just a week ago, I was up in the attic and I was going through a bunch of boxes and I ran into my freshman and sophomore year course manuals and I still didn't throw them away. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I understand what you're saying about that. But I do have a question. I have went out into residential uh, calls, you know, to where people have an indoor air quality problem. But mm -hmm. when you have a situation of disposal phobia, you know, a complete mess, how do you inform the client without hurting their feelings or causing them to withdraw or taking it personal? Well, unfortunately, I don't care. <laughs> right? here's, here's the deal. Okay. I mean, I really don't care because everybody that, that we do business with pretty much uh, is living in a... Uh, uh, where the indoor, indoor air quality is somewhere between uh, rotten and miserable. Right? Uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. But if you have that kind of, of things, you have these clothes horses, women that just have clothes stacked up, you know, on top of things. And you're instead of walking across the floor, you're actually walking on anywhere, in some cases, 12 to 18 inches of stuff, newspapers, uh, fabric, um, and, and what you have is you have a huge amount of airborne pollution. Uh, newspapers, uh, when a newspaper starts to disintegrate and fall apart, it's kind of like asbestos. It ain't good for you. Uh, when you have clothing that's made out of tiny little fibers, whether they're wool or plastic or nylon, they start to disintegrate. It gets up in the air. That's not good for you. Um, the funny part is that people, these people and their intelligence, they go out and they go to the sharper image and buy these stupid ionic air purifiers and bring them in, and, and it's like peeing in the ocean, expecting it, you know, to get the high tide. It just, it's, it's ludicrous that they spend enormous amounts of money to try and purify the air around them, and in the meantime, they're, they harbor pollutants. You know that. How do you deal with it? I deal with it forthrightly and say, listen here. Uh, if you want to kill yourself, just keep it up. Going on, you're doing a great job. And, and I don't apologize for that because I don't make outbound phone calls. People call me because they're in serious trouble. We've and got they need a, to resolve it. We've got a text message from a listener, Ron. How long do you recommend keeping papers? I mean, I guess it would depend on the type of papers. But well, of course, if it's a $100 bills or paper, I, I recommend <laughs> keeping those until, until you drop dead, all right? But, uh, again, I, the, the government has got this weird black-dumb thing that you have to keep everything for seven years. I absolutely disagree with that. If you don't, uh, I don't believe in keeping a telephone bill longer than the dispute uh, area. If you have a phone bill uh, and you don't have a problem with the bill, when it comes in, pay it and throw it away. Why should you keep it? I've seen people keep telephone, New York telephone bills for 20, 30, 35 years, all neatly lined up, just occupying space it's nuts what about bank records this other crap about uh, identity theft has caused a lot of people to harbor and hold on to all kinds of stuff the real the, the real dumb ones are the ones that are paranoid or the ones that will even hold on to the magazine because of the name and the barcode on the front of a magazine subscription how stupid or how ignorant. These are smart people that are just plumb ignorant because the media has made a huge uh, thing about identity theft. You know, I've, I've worked it's for crazy. a few. I've worked for a few different companies, Ron, and and they have different guidelines for how long we should keep our reports. For instance, one of them 
we had to purge our reports every three years. And this was a big, you know, major company. Others, uh, I know I've got reports from 15 years ago. I, I'm not sure. Where, where do you stand on that? Well, I, what, it depends on what kind. I mean, you're, you have medical doctors and stuff that have reports. They have by, uh, their, their standards are somewhat set by the government, by the, uh, the, the um, certification boards. I don't know how long the, the shrink has got to keep these records. I don't know how long a physician has got to keep the records on file or a dentist has got to keep records on file or an accountant has to keep tax returns. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, I don't keep anything over three years. Three years, okay. That's it. I'm done after three years. Now, if the feds come and say, look, have an audit, I'm going to walk down there and I'm going to say, here, here's a checkbook. You tell me how much money I owe you because anything that I would bring down there, they would use against me anyhow. Danny? Right. Hey, Ron, you brought up a very, very good point. I mean, there's a lot of times that I have responded to indoor quality issues, and when I've walked into facilities or homes, and they are totally trashed, uh, cluttered, uh, people don't realize the dust, the issues with dust. I mean, there is a thing, uh, organic dust toxic syndrome. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that are affected and allergic to fine dust, and this is a major, major problem, you know. And oh, yeah. I, I just so want to say, it's huge to the people that harbor animals. You know, these animal rights people that just love to have half a dozen cats around, four or five dogs, and then there are the bird lovers. The same thing. Have you ever been in a place where a family has had a half a dozen parrots in a living room? <laughs> No, you ever seen I, it? I have not seen it. I don't, well, I don't think I want to. Well, it's a fantasy you'll ever want to see. You see this fine powder all over the place. It's like somebody opened up the baby powder and threw it up in the air. And what it is, it's dander from birds. Oh. And it, it is absolutely so fine that it's just a white dust. It's over everything. And birds uh, create a lot of that. People, uh, the largest pollutant, I think, in... in that I'm aware of is actually skin dander. Dander from people scratching their own skin, coming off and floating around in the sky. Absolutely. Yeah, and so there you have all the kinds of fun things. If you have an organic thing like skin, uh, dust mites love things like that. Dust mites can't eat nylon. It's not digestible. Bill Wagon has a question for you here, Ron. Ron, I understand yep. you have a uh, clutter scale. How, what the, what's the criteria of your clutter scale? Well, it's kind of like zero to ten, right? A, a ten or a nine point five. I've never seen a ten because ten is something that I can't deal with. But uh, it's about volume and kind and stuff. Uh, if you look at uh, the website of the uh, uh, disposophobia.com, you'll see some pretty interesting things of people standing on top of a mountain of debris, organic debris, food. Rotten, rotten food. Uh, you know, sitting right next to the big uh, chair that they watch TV in. Uh, it, it's the scale is basically on on uh, how well you can negotiate and get around and find things. Uh, squalor is part of that scale. If you get into eights and nines on the scale, uh, you have squalor. Squalor is where you have organic. Uh, our issues uh, mixed in with just uh, normal contents in houses. And that is I'm sorry. Is that available on the website? The yeah. Skills? If you go to if you go yeah, there's like a lot of photographs on at the disposophobia.com. 
But the easy way to go there is to just go to the plan, T-H-E-P-L-A-N.com, and click on the word disposophobia and avoid disaster masters. That's a corporate and uh, uh, risk management uh, side of the thing. You know, we're not talking about that at this point, but uh, that's something else that we do or we've done here out of New York. We've been doing for, you know, off and on for 30 years. We'd certainly like to talk to you more about that. Before we do, I have another question. Actually, Cliff left this one for you. Have you ever been able to obtain funding to cover the cost of services from, for instance, health care providers or insurance companies? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, um, the, this, uh, this chronic disposophobia, which is, you know, well beyond saving $100 bills, uh, we have all the time. People uh, from are in the hospitals where they have fallen down and broken the hip and they can't get discharged, can't get out of the hospital because their house is not safe enough to send a home care attendant to. And uh, I get that question all the time, you know, about, oh, is there some funding uh, mechanism? Does Medicare pay for it? Guess what? Uh, the um, shrinks can't get paid because therapy and drugs do not work in disposophobia. It just doesn't work. I've, been, I've done literally thousands of these projects over the last 15 years, and I know. Matter of fact, that's the reason that I invented the word disposophobia about seven years ago, so that we could clearly describe the affliction. Now, if you go to the shrink and you have a problem, in order, uh, in order for the insurance company or the shrink to get paid or the nurse or the social worker or the uh, whoever it is, the service provider, they have to have a special number uh, to use uh, as the diagnosis in order for the insurance company to pay. That information is found in the thing called the DSM-4, which is the Bible for the, uh, uh, the, the service providers. This affliction does not appear anywhere in the DSM-4 other than uh, talking about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and then ADD, the uh, attention deficit disorder and ADDHD, the attention deficit hyper disorder, those kinds of things. None of those things are, are treatable uh, that I know about, uh, either with therapy or with drugs. What works is it's like a drunk. When a person wakes up one day and says, I am sick of living this way and I need to change my behavior, somehow miracles happen. They find somebody like us. And uh, they call us up and ask for help, and we can solve their problem. If they don't, you know, it's the Einstein thing. It's ludicrous to continue to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. And uh, that's what happens. I've got a text. I've got a lot of stories about this disposophobia and people, the self-help people that are working to help themselves. There's no shortage on books on time management and organization. And you're talking to a guy now that's thrown more of Julie Morgenstern's books away on time management and organizing from the inside out than any other man or any person or entity on earth. Well, how do I you, hope I, I've got a text question, plus, uh, be, before we go to that, how do you get started? I mean, it, it seems like an impossible task. It is. Well, those, that's how I know that the clients need my services, because they use the words, I'm overwhelmed, I'm depressed. I can't get started. I don't know where to start. And that's the one thing that we know how to do. Remember, I've got like 30 years of undoing serious messes. And uh, it's kind of like a fire damage contractor, which I am. 
going into a fire that's been, you know, here's a house that's been decimated. Half the kitchen's missing, part of the roof is gone, and all the contents are soaking wet. The question is, where do you start there? You know, you start the front door and you work one thing at a time after you've developed a plan. The way we work with disposophobics at every project that we've ever started begins with an on-site needs assessment, uh, and I document everything with a camera or video, figure out, and I figure out exactly what needs to be done. It's not a simple or an easy process, and it's not, uh, uh, it's really a killer. Is a, uh, people ask me from all over the country, you got a franchise? Can you do this here, there, or another? Do you have an apprenticeship program? There is no way that you can take somebody that's green and teach them how to do this in a matter of a week or two. can't be done. You know, uh, the reason is is because it's, it's easy to say, yeah, I can do that. But what happens is when you get in the middle of the project and it starts to fall apart on you, the question is how do you deal with that? That's the hard part about the dealing with disposophobics and undoing these messes. All right, we've got a text question, uh, or text question on mattresses, and it mm-hmm. says here that mattresses are usually a number one place for dust, dust mites, I guess. How mm-hmm. often should mattresses be steam cleaned is the question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I know the answer to that question, because I, I think that that depends on the, um, the kind and type of uh, protection equipment that people put on a mattress. Uh, I've seen mattresses... Uh, you know, people in continent, the answer is you know, pretty often unless you have a, uh, a water barrier. Okay. All right. Uh, on the other side is is that if you, if one is uh, diligent in their housekeeping and they use a mattress pad uh, and uh, a waterproof one underneath that, uh, then the, the, I think the mattress pad should be cleaned at least once a month. And I don't know if a mattress should ever be steam cleaned. If it's maintained properly, I don't see any reason to have to do that. And now, if you just throw a sheet on top of a mattress and sleep on it, then all bets are off. But uh, if you go back to the um, hotel-motel industry and you look at the way they treat their mattresses, they certainly use mattress pads or they use an intermediary barrier to prevent these things from happening. But even still, every now and again, you hear this disaster story about bed bugs that kind of stuff, but they, bed bugs don't even actually live in the bed. They live in the cracks and the, and the walls, and they show up in the bed at night. What about pillows? How often do you tell people either to, to clean them or throw them away? Or I just I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did. I, I think that, again, in my case, I have a pillow. Uh, I, I use these uh, pillows. I personally sleep on a pillow that's uh, uh, one of these seeds. What do they call them, buckwheat? You know, and it's wrapped in, it's it's got two uh, layers of uh, protection over it. So, uh, and I've never cleaned it. I don't know what would happen if you were clean a buckwheat pillow. It might make uh, soup. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But, but I, I know that the, the pillows that I have, my personal pillows, uh, are, are double wrapped. You know, one in a, in a protective coating and a jacket-like, and then in a regular uh, pillowcase. Okay, Bill. Ron, how do you ensure honesty among the folks that uh, work with you on these projects? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, the answer is I don't. Well, uh, that's one of the first questions that people ask. Is are you licensed and bonded? I said, do you know what the word bonded means? 
You know, and that's true. I said, most of the people on the planet make a big noise about, oh, I'm licensed and bonded. Next time, ask them to see their bond. And the truth of the matter is they're not. Uh, the way we work is simply this. On every project that we do, guess who's the leader of the pack? I would guess you. I am. That's <laughs> correct. All right. And in that regard, when I, I, I will utilize up to eight and nine people from time to time on serious projects, on big ones. And uh, I have this rule that uh, the last thing you ever want to do is put something in your pocket on one of our projects that doesn't belong to you because it might be the last time you'll ever reach in your pocket if I catch you doing that. It's kind of ugly, but uh, uh, I do that. And from time to time, if I'm using... Uh, uh, temporary labor, which I use a lot of around the country. I'll go out to uh, different parts of the country, and I will hire uh, uh, casual labor from a labor pool of some sort. Uh, they'll have a 10-minute indoctrination period, and those people will always be behind us. Yeah, when we do, we call them drivers and shadows. The drivers are uh, me and my staff that go through and uh, to do this uh, uh, work on on the project itself and these other people are behind us and they're just allowed to pick things up and carry them and move things around they're not allowed to pilfer and we don't even allow our people to accept gifts or, or um, gratuities on the job we, had a, we pay, pay them too much money we got a text answer actually on your mm -hmm. pillow and okay. uh, it said I, I, if you could go back a little Zach there that actually um, you can take that out and dry it in the sun, I believe. Yeah, you can take the buckwheat out and put it in the sun and then just wash the pillowcase. And uh, one of our listeners actually sells them at the shop. So, Neat. Well, thanks for that. Now I know. <laughs> we all learn on this show, Ron. We all... You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's amazing if you look back at what our grandparents used to do you know, with cleaning and the way they used to put out the mattresses in the sun, the blankets in the sun, the pillows in the sun. It's amazing that some of those things still apply today. Best bleach in the world is uh, good old oxygen and air and uh, sunshine. I absolutely agree. Not only that, your clothes smell and feel better, too, when they're, they're uh, actually hung on line in the sunshine. I absolutely agree. Well, we, uh, we've enjoyed having you. Before we move on to our next guest and and we'd love to have you back Ron because we really didn't get to get into the disaster side of things at all but this has been so fascinating is there anything we missed that you'd like to add well uh, not really except I appreciate uh, the uh, courtesy and uh, being invited uh, to be on your show uh, there's always a lot that everybody can learn from one another in a forum such as this uh, and uh, I look forward to coming back we look forward to having you. Uh, any tips for consumers that you can think of? Uh, people who uh, are looking well, for someone like you, services. What, yeah, here, here's a huge thing. One of the other things that I do is that uh, I work with a lot of people that are chronically depressed, and they sit at home, and they eat, and they watch TV, and they buy things that they can't use. QVC, the home shop, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, I've been in some people's houses where the stuff was stacked to the ceiling, where people, especially women, and I'm not picking on them, but it's just a, a, it's the way it is, that they uh, buy things uh, on television. 
uh, with the idea that, oh, I'm going to use this. Well, the truth is that, that, that these people are masters of salesmanship, and they know how to do, they know how to get you to pattern, and they know how to get people motivated to pick up the phone and dial and buy this kind of stuff. But the real facts are that no one, I don't care who you are, should ever buy anything just because you like it, you want it, or you need it. That's the dumbest thing on earth. Here's the Alfred criteria for buying things. The question is, yes, the answers are, yes, I like it, yes, I want it, yes, I need it, but that's not good enough. The real good question is, okay, when I buy this, question one, when I get it home, exactly where am I going to store it? Excellent. Question two is, when am I going to utilize it? If it's a book, when am I going to read it from cover to cover? You know that like 70% of the books that are bought have never read? The people buy them on impulse. So this is why Carter happens. People buy things. Uh, they buy gifts. That they, uh, their intention of giving it to somebody. They get the stuff, and they never get around to giving it. They're masters at procrastination. Most of the people that I know who are dysprosophobics have PhDs in procrastination. <laughs> All right? They are absolutely excellent at tomorrow. Uh, their time management, they, they think 10,000 times faster than they can function. As a result, they're able to buy and, and uh, create projects that never get done. When they walk into their own homes, they look at this and they say, oh, damn, there it is again, another failure. So their own failures are con constant reminders that makes them depressed. They say, oh, let me go out and eat another candy bar. They'll go something and I'll feel better. Does this short adrenaline rush, and it's just an endless spiral down, which is, leaves me with the closing of what I'm going to tell you. The reason the plan has on it spiral into control is because people don't usually fall off the cliff and fall straight down. They spiral out of control. By just tiny little things that they do wrong once, they continue to do it over and over again. And before you know it, you know, they have found themselves in the muck and the mire of, of not being well. Well, you can spiral back into control by always asking yourself the right questions about acquisition of things to make sure that they're really valid. And that is, where am I going to put it and when am I going to use it if I can't answer those two questions like it wanted or needed or a moot point? Does this apply for tools? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I know guys in the cleaning business, the, 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 the I'll do it business, that have got like... 30 pipe wrenches. What do you need 30 pipe wrenches for? <laughs> now, why would you need that? I understand that. Ron, how can yeah, our listeners... I know. Men, well, you see, the men have their afflictions, like, and then the men say to the women, what the hell are you going to do with right. those shoes? I mean, right. how, many more, how many more mascara things do you need in the bathroom? I can't even get the door open now. <laughs> All right. Well, well, by the way, have you seen the bath? Have you seen the... Uh, the, the toilet tank lately, I, it seems to have disappeared underneath this uh, pile of stuff they call Clinique and uh, all that other crap that we see. You know, it's just everywhere. Ron, how can our uh, listeners contact you if they'd like to? Well, they can just pick up the phone and call me. I'm generally available at 718-939-5800. 718-939-5800. Okay. Yeah, this company is different than any other on the planet. Every phone call that comes in starts at me and works its way down. I'm everywhere else, it starts at the bottom and works its way up. I love but I that. But 
I take all the phone calls personally, and that way I have an ironclad uh, handle on exactly what's going on, and the communication starts with me. And it either begins with me or ends with me. That's... So that's the other issue of why we do things the way we do it is because uh, I don't have time to do anything over again. So I like to do it right the first time. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and, and we really look forward to having you back. I've en enjoyed this, and I'll be looking at my home in a different way when I get home here this evening. And if, you, <laughs> if you'd like to stick around, Ron, we at the end of the show, we usually have a little round table. You're welcome to stay on and uh, join us again at the end. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you, Ron. Take care. Bye. Our next guest is going to be Stacy Champion, but before we go there, I think Cyber Jockey's got a little intro for her. The environment, you better recycle it and plant some trees to save the birds and the bees. The environment, you better recycle it. Thank you, Zach. We appreciate, always appreciate your... Uh, your input to wow. the show. <laughs> you like that one, huh? Stacy Champion of in, uh, Champion Indoor Environments. Stacy is a champion of air quality. She likes her green eggs and ham with a green approach to building and construction. As the very diva owner of Champion Indoor Environmental Services, and you can uh, go to www.championindoors.com, Ms. Champion. Which is under construction. <laughs> under construction, okay. And she is a certified indoor environmentalist. And I call you a rising star, Stacey. I, I uh, think you've really uh, quickly made your mark on the indoor environmental quality industry. Welcome to IAQ Radio. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for, ha thanks thanks for, for having me. Here. We really, we really appreciate it, Stacey. How did, but so some of our listeners may not be familiar with how you got started in the business. Can you give us a little background on that? Yeah, and I have to say that I'm, I'm slightly depressed and want a candy bar after listening to him because I, <laughs> I'm a total pack rat. I was like, oh God, that's me. <laughs> and I'm also uh, the probably the first person to be on your show with a baby on my boot. So. <laughs> Which I promised Glenn Fellman I would say, by the way. Well, he said he'd listen if I said that I had a baby on my boot. But, good. Um, <laughs> my ex-husband and I bought a house, and it was our first house, and um, it ended up being a bad house. And at that time, the insurance industry had not yet, um, you know, cut everything out as far as mold goes and our adjuster ended up bringing in a company who didn't know what they were doing and as a direct result we ended up being out of our house for eight months and my son got very sick I was very sick my ex-husband was sick and because of my background I just started doing research and when I started doing research I saw two very opposite ends of the spectrum which still exists and it's the skull and crossbones, oh my God, you're going to die, toxic mold, burn your house down stuff, and the, ah, just put some bleach on it stuff. And I have a, a background in journalism, so I knew that the truth lied somewhere there in the middle, which is pretty much true for everything. And I just started doing research and going to conferences and meeting with experts and picking everybody's brains until I, you know, 
felt like I had a handle on it and was able to put my house back together. And what? how so, long ago was this? It was in 2002, so five years ago now. Five years ago. And since then, yeah. you have started your own company helping others with not just mold, but indoor environmental quality problems. Do you yeah. feel that mold is overemphasized when it comes to IAQ problems? Uh, completely. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. Oh, I definitely feel that. What, what other issues do you think are, are more common problems than mold? I mean, I know that's the big one in the you know, media, and everybody thinks, oh, I've got a toxic mold problem. What, what are we overlooking? Now, well, I've had a lot of projects where, you know, somebody will call me and think that they have a huge mold problem, and you'll walk in, and, you know, there's an ozone machine blazing away. Or um, I had one client who called me, and, and I sat down and talked to her, and her office mates had convinced her that her house had a mold problem because she had really bad headaches. And I walked in, had a headache after about three minutes myself, because I'm pretty sensitive, and asked her if she trusted me, and she said yes. I had her go get a garbage bag, and <laughs> I walked around her entire house taking a Glade plug-in out of every single outlet and throwing it away. Wow. And I told her that, you know, to open her windows and call me in two weeks if your headaches aren't gone, and I'll come back and test for mold for free. And her headaches went away. Headaches went away so and she never called back. I, I think um, pesticides, I think that's a huge thing that's overlooked. Um, household cleaning products. And, I mean, that is crazy. And if you dig into the statistics, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. There was a, <clears throat> a thing from the Toronto Indoor Air Conference in 1990. The statistics then were that women who work at home had a 54% higher death rate from cancer. And it was a 15-year study, and they concluded that it was a direct result of the higher exposure rate just to toxic, common household, you know, chemicals in the products that we use. So I think that that's a major thing that's overlooked. Um, you know, the fact that our homes don't have, you know, c code for fresh air intake. I think that's huge. I, th I think there are, you know, many, many other things. Dust, like you guys were talking about. Uh, same thing. I'll go on to projects where people are completely wigging out about mold, and you walk in, and their fresh air intake filter hasn't been changed in five years, and their house is a disaster. So. so and. I think you've already hit what your pet peeve is. That was one of the questions we wanted to, to <laughs> ask you. Um, one of the other things I find interesting about your background in, and your activity, Stacy, you get very involved in these chat rooms and the web, I don't even know what they're called, listservs and forums. How do you find time for all of that? I, I just, I can't do it. I, I, I get them backed up in my email box and find myself having to delete everything. Well, and the other part of that was if I was independently wealthy, which literally made whatever I was drinking at the time shoot out of my nose, because <laughs> that, that pretty much couldn't be further from the truth. Um, well, yeah, I forgot to ask, are you independent? You're not independently wealthy then, okay. <laughs> no, on the contrary, boy. Um, very humble 
background. <laughs> um, maybe that's part of it is that I grew up poor, so I, I know how to be frugal. Um, well, I think part of it is that, well, obviously I've been kind of chained to my computer more now because I have a little baby. Um, but even before that, it's like pretty much on report writing days and things, you know, and I've, I've, I've always been a writer and I'm a speed reader. And so I think that helps too, cause I can just kind of blaze through things quickly and that's got to be a big help. Bill? Stacy, uh, you, you brought up something about the, the cleaning products. What type of products do you use in your own home? Um, what I use in my home, there's a company called Mountain Green that makes natural cleaning products. I use those just because I'm too lazy to make my own. Um, or, you know, vinegar and water and baking soda. Um, you know, the simpler, the better. Speaking of green, I know that you are very interested in green buildings. Stacy, can you give us a little bit about what is a green building and a little bit of your background on your involvement in that issue? Um, well, I've always been involved. I've always followed the green building movement and been interested in it. And, I mean, I was using those products in my home, you know, before. I ever became an IAQ consultant. Um, so it's something that I've always been interested in. I think that we've reached a point within our society where we have to do things differently, um, you know, especially for future generations. It's time for things to change. And, you know, as far as what is a green building, you could ask 10 different people that question and get 10 different answers. I really like um, Wikipedia's little definition of green building, and it's just two things. It's increasing the efficiency with which buildings and sites use and harvest energy, water, and materials, and reducing the building impacts on human health and the environment. So better siting, design, construction, operation, maintenance. And it's looking at the whole building's life cycle and you know, the building is a system. So there's a lot of building science in there, but then, you know, using things that aren't off-gassing VOCs and et cetera, et cetera. So, Danny, go ahead. Uh, Stacy, I just, uh, you know, I understand what you said, you know, mold uh, being an issue, it's uh, over-emphasized uh, in a lot of cases. Now, uh, I work in the field a lot, and what I find I mean, we do find mold. It's a building science issue usually, and it has a lot to do with the way the buildings are built and the actual artisans or lack of artisans that do the work today. Do you see that a lot in your area? Completely, definitely. I mean, I'm in northern Arizona in these, you know, multi-million dollar houses in Sedona, and they're built like crap. I mean, it's, it's right. ridiculous. Right. It's, you know, especially out here, it's, you know, stick frames, stucco houses, flat roofs. It's recipe for disaster. They're, you know, not using weep screeds. They're, they don't know how to seal parapets correctly. The, you know, the drainage is always, and slopage is always horrid. Right. They're not um, flashing windows. Correct. And, right. you know, right. just, 
obvious, simple things. And I would say the majority of the mold problems and mold projects that I work on are based on, you know, construction defects. Right. And then I've all, I mean, I've also seen, uh, you know, like people, different people were affected by molds differently. Obviously there's people out there that it, it has no effect whatsoever, but then there's other people that are very sensitive to it. But almost every instance I get involved with, there is a reason why there is mold, there is moisture, and it is a construction issue. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, and let you get those rare catastrophic water events and, you Correct. know, lack of maintenance on certain occasions. But, mm-hmm. yeah, almost always. And that's another pet peeve of mine, Joe, <laughs> is that uh, consultants and remediation companies, I see, not addressing root cause. And that drives me batty. I can... I can sympathize with you there. Bill, I understand you've got a question. Bill Wagon, instructor extraordinaire. I love it. Stacy, <laughs> in some cases, aren't green products more difficult to manufacture and, and therefore sometimes as or more harmful to the environment than the products that they might replace? Well, and I laugh at that question, too, because that could be pretty much said of anything and then is that product green or has it been greenwashed um i think that we have a long way to go and it's like anything else um you know technology will catch up it's the the prices for a lot of those products are coming down because you have consumer demand and that was something because i've been pushing the green stuff ever since i got into the iq industry and consultants would say, oh, it's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. And the analogy that I always use with people is, well, how much was a DVD player, you know, five or ten years ago? It was a lot of money. And you can now go pick one up for 20 bucks. So when you have consumer demand, you know, the market is going to meet the consumer demand. Prices come down. People get better at developing those products. I mean, that's, it's just the way our economy works. We, we have a text question, but before we go there, you, you mentioned greenwashed. Can you tell us what the difference between a green and a greenwashed product is? Hey, you didn't read my article in IE Connections, obviously. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, Stace. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, greenwash is basically the term being used um, because green, quote-unquote, has gotten so trendy so quickly, and we've kind of gone over that. We've reached the tipping point with it. It's, you know, it's on the cover of every magazine right now, and everybody's interested in it. What is it? And anytime you have a fad or a trend or you've reached that tipping point with a product or anything, you're going to have a lot of people out there who are all about the almighty dollar. And um, an example I will give you for that is uh, pesticides. I can't tell you how many ads that I see for non-toxic, safe for your family and your pets. And that, to me, is, is a product being greenwashed. It's saying, you know, natural. And they do it on, on food. They do it, you know, on pretty much anything you can think of these days. Healthy, all-natural all of those adjectives that, you know, will make people feel safe, 
But until you start delving in and looking at the manufacturer safety data sheet and reading product labels, it, they're, they're generally just sugar-coated. That is greenwashed. How's a consumer to know? Well, uh, do your homework. You know, take responsibility for, for what you, you know, put in your home and in your body. People, people in our society now have gotten so lazy. So I can't count on any, any of these green labels and things of that nature? Well, I mean, there, there are certain organizations out there. There's Green Seal. You know, there, it's, it's getting there. But even then, you know, when you start having a lot of organizations and a lot of people making a lot of money, you know, you always have to be asking questions even then still of what their motive is and, okay, well, who paid for this study? And, you know, it's just basically doing your homework and taking responsibility and then, you know, choosing to trust it or not, like anything. We've got a text question from a listener going back to the discussion on uh, construction. What about new construction? Is there anything being done to address the high moisture contents before closing the building up? I, I guess in your particular area of the country, are you familiar with what's happening with that in that respect? As far as drying the what building, do you mean? Uh, making sure that the building oh. is dry before putting the yeah, finishings well, on. I mean, there again, that's a no-brainer to me. I went and worked, and, and I have had the opportunity, I have to say, too, to work with some phenomenal builders who really do care, and they're just, they're gems. And there's uh, one in, he's in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and his company, it's Shelter and Associates, and he's been building for a really long time, and he had me come out, and I mean, I trained his, project managers on, you know, using moisture meters to measure, you know, moisture content and building materials. And I made him a list of different tools and different things that he could utilize and to be proactive and preventative. And he had everything ordered before I was even on the plane back home. I think that there's a ton that can be done, even just, you know, teaching people how to store lumber on site would make a humongous difference. Um, you know, builders having air scrubbers, having dehumidifiers, having having that equipment available and, and actually using it, yeah, that would be huge. I, our guest last week, Tim Hoysert, uh, just called me oh, after the show not long ago, and he said he just got a job where he is actually going out for builder a particular builder and verifying that there is no microbial contamination and that the building is dry prior to putting on the finishes and that is being required actually by the loan the um lending company uh the bank oh, wow. yeah which is an interesting uh trend i think um as a follow-up question from one of our listeners how do we get this message out to the consumer? How do we get them to realize that this should be done prior to closing up the building? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> I, I think... I thought the same thing know, myself. I went, hmm, that's a darn good question. How do we do yeah. that? Yeah. Um, 
I I can say that in my own little way I do I do it. I think that the um, NHB needs to be more involved in getting that message out to the consumer. Um, I think that if GCs had to do continuing ed and it were mandatory, I think that that would go a heck of a long way. Um, the fact that they don't, at least in Arizona, I'm not sure about other states, but that that kind of blows my mind. I think that the media does, it's like the mold thing, the media does such a poor job at taking an opportunity to really educate people in a calm, logical, factual manner. And, you know, that's why I write articles, and I'm actually going to be writing more and trying to get into more of the consumer-based magazines to do my part anyway and getting that message across. Okay, before we I think it's going to take a while. The acronym police is in the room. Uh, police officer. Uh, yes. uh, the National NAHB. Association of Home Builders. Thank you. Mr. Wagon will appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank National and, Association of um, Home Builders and then GC General Contractor. We, we've got a follow-up. Um, some One of the listeners says the NAHB is addressing bulk water, but not necessarily including solutions to drying the building as well. So they're starting to apparently look at you know bulk water, but maybe not drying the um, structure itself, making sure that, as you pointed out, people use moisture meters and determine whether or not it's time to put those finishes on. So I just thought I right. would add that. Yeah. I, well, well, and the, the other thing with, with the building industry, and when I have somebody call me and tell me they have an old house, I usually get excited um, because the bones are so good. But, you know, part of it is that everybody's in a hurry now. I mean, how quickly they're throwing houses up. Um, you know, there's not a lot of oversight of the project that I see anyway. Uh, it's not like, you know, even 20 years ago or 50 years ago where people, people had integrity and they, you know, they built a house to last. What I see now is they build a house to maybe last 20 years if you're lucky and it's all about money. You know, you have your good builders out there, too, so I don't want it's, to... It's like any industry. Well, yeah, and I've got a comment, too, from a listener that's, you know, and I, I can paraphrase. I mean, really, we can get that message out to the contractors, but if the consumers don't get the same message to the contractors and aren't willing to pay the extra costs for ensuring these extra steps are taken, aren't we to blame? <laughs> well... Um, you know, it's a it's a double-edged sword, though, because I don't know. If I were a builder, and how I put it to Art when I was out in Idaho was that, you know, if that were my company, I would be doing everything in my power to protect my liability, which, you know, that's a facet of, of that. I mean, and then documenting it. And then and maybe marketing the fact that you do those things as well would be which, helpful. Which he does, yeah, and which I think goes a very long way with people. Um, with a lot of the builders that I've worked with, and they express that frustration, you know, especially with the green building stuff of, like, well, people don't want to 
pay it and and I've gotten involved as the builder's consultant to basically be the go between between them and their client to explain to them the benefits of these different materials and upgrading certain things and then their client tends to feel that they're not being upsold and they I think really listen. And some people want to do it and some people don't. We're uh, running a little low on time, but I always like to make sure we give you an opportunity to add anything that you think we missed. Um, no, I'm not independently wealthy. And if anybody <laughs> wants to send me some money, that would be great. How about that? No, and not only that, I think one of the things I wanted to <laughs> ask you is um, you, you go to these green building conferences now. Wh which is the best one, in your opinion, and... Do you see any other indoor air quality people there or water damage restoration or uh, mold remediators or, you know, uh, investigators, uh, home inspectors? Who do you see at these conferences? Well, would, it depends on the conference. Um, National Association of Home Builders has their National Green Build Conference, um, which is at the end of March. I believe it's in St. Louis this year. They have a, I love that conference. It's fabulous. I mean, it's mostly builders, not a lot of IQ people. I mean, obviously builders, but they cover tons of building science, which is, I mean, the sessions are phenomenal. I've learned a ton going to that conference, whereas the U.S. Green Building Council Conference, uh, which just happened in Denver in November, and I went to that very big and pregnant that one this year had over 10,000 people. I mean, it was extraordinary. It's going to be in L.A. next year. It'll be, in a, well, this coming year, November. But that one is, you know, mostly architects, designers, engineers. But, you know, 10,000 people, people come from all over the world. There's also West Coast Green, which is a little geared more toward the consumer. But there again, they have you know, they're huge conferences, and they go all out. The speakers are incredible at West Coast Green. Um, they had some, you know, really famous speakers. So those are kind of the top three as far as green goes. Then, you know, there are, of course, a lot of great building science conferences, too, and I really think that the IQ industry, and I know Seabrook was at IQA this year um, at the conference, but I think that the IQ industry really needs to start embracing more building science, and you know, which then ties into the green stuff as well, because it's all so completely synergistic. We've, we've been getting some great questions, and I, I just want to add one more would you know the right people or how do we get in touch with the right people to get more speakers from the IAQ disaster restoration uh, industries to speak at these events? Aha, uh -huh, I know everybody. You know them <laughs> all. Well then let me um, ask you one more question first and then we'll get your contact information. Okay. Any suggestions or comments for consumers that may be listening? Any recommendations? Well, I think it's, it's as it is with 
you know, life in general, and I'm sure your wives have said this to you five billion times, it's the little things. It's all of the little things that then become a big thing. So it's about, you know, keeping your house clean, uh, upgrading to a HEPA vacuum if you have carpet. If there's any way for you to get the carpet out of your house, that's huge. Um, pay attention to what you use. I mean, if you open anybody's cabinets, you see, you know, 20 products. It's completely unnecessary. Um, scale down. If you can't pronounce something, it's probably not a good thing to use in your house or in your yard for that matter. Um, you know, focus a ton on being proactive and, and prevention. Many, many, many of these problems could have been prevented by just, you know, utilizing good common sense and paying attention and doing monthly home, you know, maintenance checks, and there you have it. All right. How can our listeners, especially those that are interested in uh, speaking at some of these events, events, how can they contact you, Stacy? Uh, my email is sc, my initials, at championindoors.com. Probably the best way to reach me. That would be great. And, and we really want to thank you for joining us today. And hey, no worries. And the baby slept through the whole thing. She was bored. Oh, well, maybe, maybe it's my <laughs> soothing voice. I don't know. <clears throat> or it could be the presence of uh, instructor extraordinaire here. Anyhow, before we go, I believe we had a correct answer on the trivia quiz already. Uh, actually, two. Uh, Cyber Jockey, you want to make that announcement real quick before uh, we yeah. go? Yeah, D Dar Darren Shadima got, got both of the answers correct. The fear of missiles or bullets is ballistophobia. <laughs> what is, and, 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 the, and the fear of dust? Conophobia, or he he actually used a different a uh, a different name for it. Amath amathophobia. It's either amathophobia or coniophobia. And cyber jockey checked it out, and they're they're both correct. Though. Yeah, they're both correct. All right. Well, what if he win? Darren will get a prize from the microband folks here. Probably, uh, generally, it's a hat or a jacket or something. You know. Some nice little, uh, little yeah, gift from the Darren will send you something nice. Yeah, all right. My, and, and my apologies, I messed up your last name. It's Houdima. <laughs> my apologies. All right. Well, thanks to Darren and all of our other listeners, and, and thanks to Stacy. And I do believe that Ron Alford had to drop off. So yes, he did. We won't have the Ron table we typically have. I also want to thank Danny Hunt for being here with us in the studio today, sitting in for Cliff. Instructor Extraordinaire, uh, Bill Wagon, IICRC, and Unspoke Extra Instructor Extraordinaire, and the acronym Police. Thank you for being here, Bill. Always fun, Joe. All right. And this is Joe Hughes saying thanks to Cyber Jockey as well. And, of course, uh, my co-host, Cliff, who wasn't here today but did help us get our first guest. But most importantly... Thanks to the growing group of listeners, and it is growing. This I was wrong last week, by the way. This is our 20th live show this week, and we have gone over 2,000 downloads, so things are going really well. 
please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.